Welcome back again, listeners. I'm Sam Vasquez, and this, this is Fall Risk. Welcome back to another episode of Fall Risk. I am Sam Vasquez, your host, and today we have the very lovely Allie Privet on the podcast with us. Say hello, Allie. Hi. Hi to everyone <laughs> on Fall Risk and Sam. Thanks for having me. It's so weird just saying hello to like nothing, right? <laughs> like just to me. <laughs> like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is kind of a different one for me on Fall Risk. Um, I've never met Allie in person before. This is a, she's, she was referred to me by a mutual friend of ours, Ryan Eggestall. Um, Ryan insisted that I reach out to Allie and get her on the podcast like straight away because he thought it would be a really, really cool experience because you are also a podcaster. I am. Yes, I do education. I do an education podcast called Disrupt Education and I co-host with Peter Hostrosser, which it, I love doing podcasting and, and all that. So I'm glad, and, and I'm a skydiver. You know, uh, in case like shocker, <laughs> that's what you interview. But Ryan is uh, is great, and I'm glad he connected us. Yeah, yeah, I'm super stoked to see how this goes. This is gonna be, um, this is gonna be a little weird for me because everybody I've talked to up until this point, ha- I have some sort of association with, even if it's just I like pass them on the drop zone. So this is me putting my <laughs> getting out of my comfort zone. And, and I think this is going to be really fun. And on top of that, too, we'll get into it a little bit later. But you have a ton of really cool, unique perspectives on some things, I think, I hope we're going to find out. Um, but I, I would bet money this is probably going to be um, this is going to be a really interesting podcast or podcast episode. I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked. So to get into it, uh, tell me a little bit more about just you, like your background. What do you do day to day? That kind of stuff. Yeah, cool. So this is like our, I just have to say this, this is like your podcast blind date and (laughs) I'm here for this. Yeah, that's perfect. It's a perfect way to say it. (laughs) It's great. So, uh, I, I have a, a varied background of do the highlights for, I think the intention of the podcast. I was a high school chemistry and physics teacher and was for the last decade. I decided um, a year and a half ago to start my own coaching consulting business, which has evolved um, uh, over that time. And it's really on personal growth and, and development along with tying into my educational background into that. But in in the past, so I left the classroom in June to mm-hmm. then pursue my business full time. And uh, skydiving kind of like fell <laughs> into that that whole kind of transition period and has kind of been a springboard for where my life is now. But I am now in full time entrepreneur, full time business owner. And I, I do a lot of varied projects. One of them is podcasting, speaking, um, coaching people. And my family owns a um, bed and breakfast and retreat center. So not only can I coach pe- people virtually, you know, whether they want it, it's kind of like life coaching is the simplest way to, to understand it. But I can also host people in person and bring their, I really like to help people overcome their fears. And, and a lot skydiving is like a big part of that. And Mm -hmm. so that is where 
I want to help people have like kind of an adventurous retreat where they can kind of reset, restart and overcome some fears that might be limiting them in okay. order to kind of move them forward in a personal growth way that would be different than just like an online virtual coaching session. So can do both. And, but skydiving is a huge part of like how I even transitioned into that work and thinking like, mm -hmm. oh, I could use this, this space that my family owns and the acreage that we have and this bed and breakfast that we have and, and all of this to then help other people get into either the sport of skydiving or just do skydiving or hiking or whatever that they think is their fear factor, you know, type thing in order to help them grow and develop. That's super cool. The more I find out about you, the more I realize like I'm drawing all these parallels between what your life is like and what is currently going on in my life. My my parents have a have a very large house here in Baldwin, Wisconsin, and mine and my sister's dream is somewhere somewhere down the line like 10, 20 years from now is turning it into a bed and breakfast. It's been a ongoing project that my father's been do, um, tackling for like 30 years and he's just building and building and building this big huge mansion <laughs> that they'll never be able to use um so like you mentioned bed and breakfast like you're working out of a bed and breakfast like your family owns it like I'm just like man this this girl is so <laughs> like there are so many parallels <laughs> between all the things that I've learned about you thus far it's fantastic um to to reference too like just so anybody on the podcast is, is isn't confused like I have looked I've done a little research on Allie <laughs> I've uh, read a little bit up on her and there's a lot of really similar things uh between her life and my life that uh we're gonna get into a little later but but it's just kind of interesting very interesting this is why Ryan connected us I guess yeah <laughs> thanks Ryan thanks Ryan he'll listen to Got this it. later and be like haha I knew it so tell me a little bit, how did you get into jumping? Like, when did that start? Mm. So I did my first tandem in 2014, you know, as a bucket list. Oh my gosh, I want to jump up on a plane and free fall. You know, like this, the very like typical, you know, whatever reason somebody wants mm -hmm. to jump. Very like, I would just call basic reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that in Illinois. I actually bought a Groupon, like, you know, I was just, and I used to live in St. Louis, Missouri. So it was a little bit of a drive. It was like a whole day adventure and I loved it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do this again. And my parents live in Birchwood, Wisconsin. And so in 2019, my mom and I were planning a trip to South Africa in 2020. You can probably okay. imagine what happened, but yeah. um, it was like a big, it was a, my mom really hasn't traveled out of the country except like Mexico. And I was like trying to assess her will. And like this trip to South Africa was going to include like swimming with great whites and going on the largest bungee jump in the world and like um, doing open cart safari adventures with like lions and, you know, giraffes and hippos wow. and stuff. You know, like, and it was like going off waterfall. It was, it was very adventurous trip. Yeah. And so my mom, you know, this is before we booked it. I was like, I really need to see if my mom can like say yes to something with immediacy that is a, uh, considered terrifying. So I called up, I looked at local drop zones. I looked at the closest one and it was skydive with soda in Chippewa falls. And I called them up and I said, do you have availability tomorrow for two tandems? And they said, yes. And I said, okay, here's my information. I then called my mom. It was like, <laughs> hey mom, we're going skydiving tomorrow. And I was like, she better be all in no hold back. Like, yes. Let's, and she was, she was like, this is awesome. She's like, when do we go in? And like all of this. So we go to skydive with soda in 2019 
and she loves it. I mean, like she had, <laughs> she had Josh Johnson, <laughs> and then I had Jordan Ermer as mine, and right. um, so I did my second jump. That's when I learned. I was like. I learned that people could do this solo and I had kind of had this question in my mind of like, you know, how do people even like learn how to jump out of planes and like, how do you become a tandem instructor? And because it was my second time, like I wasn't so like filled with like uh, so much fear. I mean, I was, but not like as much as I was five years prior. And um, so I then was like, I, I learned about their program to become a licensed skydiver and I was like, I have to do this. Now that summer mm-hmm. it didn't work out. And then I was actually planning on 2020. And then my mom and I are planning on this big trip to South Africa and everything. Well, obviously the world got shut down. I know that I could have probably still done it, but the timing, everything changed, right? Like yeah. my plan changed that year, but I kept thinking about it. I kept thinking about it. And then summer of 2021, I, it wasn't the right time. My life, I was starting the business and I couldn't do it. But then my life really changed last year where I was like, I'm leaving teaching. And I am, I like prioritized, I, I, I signed up for my static line class in April (laughs) for a July class. And I was told later that that's not normal. People don't call months in advance. Yeah. Their whole summer. And I like called and I was like, I'm going to be up. I'm going to be in Wisconsin at the time. I didn't know I was like moving up here, but I was like, I'm going to be in Wisconsin for uh at least a month is that enough time to get my license like I'll be out there every day jumping and like getting it done and they were like yeah if you're really hardcore you can get it done and everything <laughs> like you know I don't know who this girl is but so yeah so that's um July 9th is when I started of 2022 and um yeah I mean I, I'm sure you're gonna ask me more questions about it but that's how I got into yeah. it yeah so. okay okay it's a wild tale are you guys so my first question is are you still planning on making that trip to South Africa because that sounds bomb Yes, that will happen. Um, it's a matter of when, not if. Um, so how many jumps have you accumulated so far? It's been how many months now? Five. Just five just months? About five. Well, yeah, Ju- July, August, September, October, November. And, are, you, and... are you jumping in the winter too now? I have been, yes. Nice. Okay, so how, how many jumps so far? I'm at 106. That is amazing. <laughs> Oh my God. That's amazing for a very short window of time. I mean, I think the average is probably for a brand new student who doesn't have gear or who didn't have gear to begin with, like in one season, maybe seven months, maybe like 50 jumps. Maybe. I went hardcore. I went hard. I have goals. I applaud you. I applaud you. Nice job. I didn't, I don't even think I did. And I was working at the drop zone the first year I did it. I don't know that I I think I maybe did 45 in my first, my first season. Like that's nuts. That's so impressive. Can you tell me what your very, very first jump was like? So I think this first static line jump is probably more interesting. I mean, like, um, and so it's very short, like the, the free fall Mm -hmm. part, but it does not feel that way in the moment. Um, Mm -hmm. so the whole day, let's just preface this with, when you're learning to do your first solo jump, there's a lot of training. It's like six yeah. hours of training just for like literally to jump out of the plane and be falling from it before your parachute opens for like two, three seconds. It's just really <laughs> short. But I think it's important for people to know that like there's a, a ton of, of training that goes into it. But the whole day, like I was experiencing like intense fear, adrenaline, like 
intensity. And I actually did my first static line jump and then immediately landed and got on a plane and did my second one. So I had no time to really process it. I have a raw video of my, oh, I should also say my mom and I did the static line class together. That's awesome. How old was your mom when you first, when she first started? Uh, 63. Oh. I mean, 64, 64. I know. Oh my God. That's amazing. Right. She wants to get her license this maybe next summer when I'm a coach. Right. Um, so yeah. right. Um, she jumped out of the plane four times and then it's just like scheduling and it was intense. So mm -hmm. what I remember though is I, I, I remember hanging from the strut. Cause you have to like, you climb out of the plane, you're like hanging from the wing of the plane basically. And I remember like looking at my static line instructor thinking I am going to die. Remember, <laughs> being like, this is it. I'm like when I let go, it's over, say goodbye. Um, and it's like just this flash, this flash of like, okay, I let go, I'm in the air. And, you know, I remember being like, okay, just praying that my parachute would open because like you don't like I think it's important that people hear this who are like it it's so normalized in once you become a skydiver like of course your parachute opens I guess like but it's not when you're in that intense environment and you just listen to like six plus hours of everything that could go wrong that's all that's running through your head oh, yeah. and so I remember letting go and my like looking up and being like oh my god there is a parachute over my head <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> That's great. That's a, no, you're right. Um, it's been a really long time since I've been a student. So uh, it's super cool to hear you guys talk about how intense the training, pro like the training process is, all the groundwork stuff, and then to suddenly have to go up immediately, you know, after that, that even, that's not even comparable to what I did either as a student. I was working there. Somebody did me or did the training for me the night before I woke up the next morning, super refreshed and like just went. So it was, it was uh, a very different experience. Real interesting to hear everybody else's, uh, you know, situations and, and experience, uh, experience differences. It's really cool. Do you have your own gear yet? Yep. Uh, I got it in September. Okay. <laughs> I actually have Ryan's old, um, yeah, he's just <laughs> going to get all this reference. So like his old, his old container mm -hmm. and reserve. And then it was like, it was like a group effort. You have to understand the community with soda is like so tight knit. It's so mm -hmm. tight knit. And, um, so, another jumper Brandon helped find me a main with Mary Bauer who is everything at Wasoda okay yes like 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 everything and uh, with her approval she's the rigger and then she helped me get the AAD and then when it I was actually out of town the weekend that all the pieces came together and but it was so funny because like I got like at least six different like messages and images of like <laughs> of it being put together from everybody and so then like it, it yeah I had it um before I even had my B license um and yeah and I got to to jump it I think starting around it was like jump 46 is okay. when I had my gear dang and, um, yeah you hit everything so fast like so hardcore so fast that's like good on you for committing like that hard right away yep. you know not a lot of people do that. I was like, full send it. Yeah, you're in the minority for sure, girl. Nice job. What other things are you into besides skydiving, like hobby-wise? Like, what, what else are you into? Uh, Well, I am a, 
I think the simplest way to answer this is uh, I'm a bite the apple person. I just like doing so much. Uh, like, so I love to travel, like in terms of like real hobbies um, that I have. So I have done pretty extensive traveling. I'm blessed to like have prioritized that. And um, and then on those travels, I my goal is always to do like the craziest thing that you can do, which is why like <laughs> I was going to South Africa to swim with the Great Whites because like, why not? Um, so like I've been to the Galapagos Islands and I swam with sharks there. Um, I've been to Peru and rather than do like the standard like um, Inca Trail to Machu Picchu, I did this like extreme sport backdoor tour where you like <laughs> mountain bike and like hike through the Amazon jungle <laughs> to like get to the get to get to Machu Picchu. And um, uh, I've done canyoning in New Zealand. I've done like deep cave spelunking in New Zealand. I've done glacier water snorkeling in Iceland I've gone into dormant volcanoes in Iceland I've done like horseback riding on the beaches of Hawaii and um Costa Rica and the Dominican Republic I've been to Italy three times um what else I I I love to explore I've gone surfing um I I love just thrill right um sea kayaking I don't know but lots of different stuff I also if you can't tell I like to do stuff at the extreme way so like yeah. <laughs> one day I woke up and I was like I think I'll go running and like not like a normal person I started running and you know I ran like three four or five miles and then I was like no I need to run a marathon <laughs> I ran a marathon and then um, I got into weight training five years ago and I was like what's the hardest maneuver for a woman to do and it's like pull-ups because upper body strength is harder for a woman. And I was like, I'm going to do 10 pull-ups. Well, I've gotten, oh, I've got like 9.9. I just can't, like, <laughs> I can't count it for my own. If I, if I do a cheap, I like, and these are like full extension pull-ups. They are not like baby yeah. pull-ups. And um, yeah, like I just like to, to do stuff that pushes me physically, you know, mentally, uh, emotionally, like it's all about personal growth. Right. So it's, finding the next challenge thrill and it's not just like doing it just to like check a box it's it's stuff that really I think moves you forward in life keeps life interesting um which is what like how like my business got started and everything because I realized like I'm not normal most people don't do life this way but it really is helpful for the pieces of those parts to help others um yeah I wish you guys could see my face right now because my eyebrows keep going way up into my hairline with the more, like, the more things she says, the more and more shocked and surprised I am. Like this is, this is a, I'm learning so much. I can't even like, you've stood on the edge of a dormant volcano. Like that's. I've been in a dormant volcano. Inside, inside a dormant volcano. Oh my God. There's, you know how many people on like the face of the earth can say that? Like that's, that's nuts. All right. Sorry. Continue. Continue. I'm still, whoo. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, just it, adventure. You go to Iceland. I'll tell you the tour. It's called inside the volcano. It's great. Okay. You should go. All Recommend. Right. I'll write it down. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so it sounds a lot like, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a similar kind of like what you're explaining is, is really similar to adrenaline seeking, but it's on, on some other level or on, on a different level, you're talking about how this is stuff that moves you forward as a human being, right? Like that it's, but you get to, you get to really like, you get things out of it. This is something that I can't relate to because I am not an adrenaline seeker at all. Like I do not do anything other than skydiving. Um, so 
it's a curious thing. Like, can you talk a little bit more about how these types of experiences change your personal growth? Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Totally. So I think I should, I should, with the whole like bite the apple thing is that I think experiencing life and getting out of your bubble and box is the most transformative thing you can do to experience the world. And for me, not only is experiencing the world like more than just like for me, like, yeah, okay, a baseball game or going to see a movie or picnic at the park, like local adventures are great and they're, they're wonderful on their own, but the world is so big and it's, and it's so beautiful that like seeing as much of it and like seeing the cultures and the people and the places, like I want to go to all seven continents. Like I want to experience that because I think it just makes you a better human. You can relate to other people's experiences in life if you get outside of your bubble and there's mm-hmm. so much beauty in that and the more that I I traveled the more that I wanted more of it and I would rather put my time energy resources money into those experiences than buying things I'm a big minimalist um mm-hmm. I don't like to collect stuff I'd much rather collect it m- memories um and and all of that and so i think what started off is just a love of travel and then doing crazy stuff while traveling um carried over into other areas of my life and realizing that like i mean everyone wants to know like oh what you know where'd you go what you do and i'd be like it's so much bigger than that um right like getting outside of your comfort zone and continually challenging yourself like requires a level of discipline it's not easy like I mean when I first traveled alone by myself to the Dominican Republic in college it was terrified like that was a whole experience in itself and like I or like the plane was delayed my luggage wasn't there you know people had to wait at the airport for me for like six seven hours longer like I didn't think they were going to be there I had no way of this was back in 2008 so I was like I don't have any way to contact these people like I mean I did, I do speak Spanish, but it still was like, I'm in a country and like, I don't even know what I'm going to do when I land. And then when we were there, we were going out into these small rural communities. All this to say was like, I overcame a ton of personal fear. And then on the other side of that, there was so much freedom. I was like, wow, look at all this stuff I can accomplish and do. Well, that then just continued. And that's like Mm -hmm. one of my favorite phrases is on the other side of your fears is freedom. And it's just what is the next thing holding you back? Yeah. Is where yeah. the personal growth comes from. That's awesome. I should really take a page out of that book because I'm a worrier. <laughs> I worry about everything. <laughs> um, what I really did like about that explanation too is that it helps you relate. You know, you talked a little bit about how going to these different places and learning more things about um you know, other cultures and other places and other activities, right? It helps you relate to other people on a more basic level. Like especially with like the pandemic and and COVID, you know, separating all of us and keeping us at home and like not being able to see people. Like there's like a definite um, sense of uh, not to get too political, like too, you know, controversial here about, (laughs) about all this, but there's definitely a, um, a level of 
uh, distance, you know, like distancing, mental, emotional distancing going on from like each other, you know, that wasn't there before COVID. So it, it definitely, that resonates a lot with me. Um, like the explanation of like how this connects you so much more with all of these places and all these people and like the understanding and empathizing with people. Like it's just, it, that, that resonates a lot with the more you get to know people and places, the more you can, you kind of find this like beautiful middle ground where, you know, every reality is possible and you can just really appreciate mm -hmm. people's perspectives in a way that I wouldn't be able to with, without all of, of those experiences and, and, and traveling and just putting myself intentionally in mm -hmm. lots of different communities. That's, um, very, very important things that I think we've lost a little bit of sight of, you know, in recent times. Um, that's very cool. All right. So we, we deviate a little bit. We're, we're getting away from skydiving. Let's go, let's go back to skydiving really quick. <laughs> um, All right. talk, can you tell me a little bit about, uh, what your favorite kind of jumps have been so far? Well, there's so many and anyone out with soda, um, who has had to sign my logbook will know okay. that I write a lot um, and they all kind of make fun of me, you know, whatever. It's a group of guys mm -hmm. and I'm one of the few women and it's fine. I don't care. Like okay. it's my journal. And guess what? I can remember a lot of my jumps very, very well because I took the time mm -hmm. to like write them out, which I would just encourage, you know, all of your skydiving buddies to like, it's interesting because I've had some skydivers who now have like, you know, hundreds, maybe even over a thousand jumps. And they're like, you've inspired me That's to cool. start writing a little bit more in my logbook. So um, I think it's important. And I, I don't know if other people on your podcast have talked about this, but you have to, I have to understand that I jump with Mary Bauer and Bob Stump. Big and deals. They they're are big deals. <laughs> yeah. Legends. legends. Big deals in the skydiving community. And so I I will never forget my first jump at um, altitude at 10,000 feet with Mary Bauer. And I am lucky. I actually counted up my jumps that I have with Mary. Um, and over 56 of my jumps are with her. So I actually have the video of that one. So it's pretty easy to remember. But it's like I can remember it from my perspective too. And even though it's not like I did a whole lot, like <laughs> it was like jump like 12, 13, you know, like I'm basically just jumping out of the plane and like, she's like work on turns. And this is funny because Josh was like, do turns with like, just move your hands to one side and like cup the air. And so Mary was asking me before the jump, she was like, how are you going to turn? And so I told her what I was going to do from what Josh told me. She was like, that's different. So no one's told, told me that they, that's how they were going to turn. But if that's how you were trained, that's how you're going to do it. So in the video, you can like see me and I'm just like, my face is like, I turn my hands and I like spin around. And I I remember being like, this is so awesome. And um, I, I remember Mary grabbing me and like looking me in the eyes. And you have mm -hmm. to understand this was a sunset jump. So she put me on the sunset load. Um, This was in July. And, you know, it's a beautiful summer day. And there was just like a little bit of clouds. And uh, I remember she's like, wave off and then, you know, like pull your parachute. And I remember being like, she's like, you know, check your altimeter. And I remember doing all of these things, but I remember seeing her smile and being like, wow, I just got all this free fall time. We, you know, 
we're looking at these beautiful clouds on the horizon. I'm turning. There's my mentor and, you know, and she's smiling at me. And, and then I got to, when I opened up my parachute, man, it's still like a lot of the sunsets at Wasoda are so beautiful, but that one is, you know, just going to pop so immensely because under canopy then yeah. I got to just stare at this beautiful mm -hmm. this beautiful lake in this beautiful uh sunset and then land and have her and and, and have mary sign my logbook for my first time at altitude and I, i'll just never forget it very cool that's a that is a pretty awesome jump Pro i would i would maybe argue at the time like the weight of it probably wasn't you know like it didn't sit with you the same way it does now you know when you look back at those types of things like especially now that you know like mary mary and bob like whew amazing you know and to have that kind of experience really early on in your yeah. in your uh, skydiving career like that's pretty cool not a lot of people get to do that one yeah that's pretty rad i think I in know. like 15 years of skydiving i think i've only jumped with mary like three times <laughs> what is your favorite thing to do in skydiving so far it's your favorite type of jump it's so hard to pick a favorite i mean like you have to understand i'm like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed yeah. like i love the sport so much <laughs> i mean I will say I I've had a couple I'll I'll mention one that didn't involve Mary because like just <laughs> mentioned all these fun jumps that I've had with okay. her um it's I mean I've just been really lucky to do a lot of like like I said over 50 jumps with her of my hundreds so it's like over 50 percent mm -hmm. of my jumps right but um I I've jumped with it was with Ryan um Joel Allen and Joe I don't know how to say his last name. Joe R. Joe. So anyway, there are other jumpers that are dropped. So. Yes. I always feel like I say it wrong anyway. And they were like, we're going to do this jump where I do like the ones where you have to fly a little. So it's not just like a, like a 90 or 180, like cats and uh, like uh, compressions, maybe a, a donut. So in this one, it was a, a three-way launch and, um, and then it was basically an open accordion and the outside people um, then s s uh, have to fly around to the other outside. But then you have to three, then the, the two, the two twos, you then do a, like a 180. So then the people who are on the outside are on the yep. inside and then the people on the outside then have to fly around. And uh, that jump went of course really well. And it was it was a marked shift for me because I also flew mm -hmm. it right. Like you have to understand, I have no tunnel time. Um, I learned through static lines, so I didn't have AFF progression, and I have now just over an hour of freefall time. I'm learning everything in 30 to 45 second increments of practice, mm -hmm. and it's not a sport that you can like really sit and think about what you're doing. And so I think that jump, the energy, so I'm a big like feeler empath and being with these three dudes who really, let's be honest, they're just kind of like, Ugh, whatever. <laughs> they're like vibey, chill energy. Like it'll go good. It doesn't matter. Like I fed off of that. And then the jump went really well. And I was flying the pattern. I just remember having so much fun and being like, wow, it's, I can actually do some stuff in the mm -hmm. air. <laughs> like, so I think just the, the jumps that are the, the most memorable ones are always the ones where 
it's like it seems like low pressure or you're just really calm energy mm-hmm. um because it can be so easy to be like i need to check this box or i need especially at the speed that i got into the sport right like i mean i'm trying to get stuff checked off because i have goals but it's like when i actually sit and just really enjoy the jump those are the I best getcha. ones that's super cool and i'm really curious to um see how that attitude changes as you you know doing more more and more uh, time in the sport more and more jumps underneath your belt um Especially if you start to do like things like tunnel time or you travel around other drop zones. Like I'd be curious to see how that, how that, uh, attitude changes a little bit. (laughs) So we've talked a little bit about favorite specific jumps, favorite, you know, types of jumps, that kind of stuff. Um, let's talk about like just skydiving in general right now. Um, what is your favorite thing just about the skydiving world so far? Like, what do you, what, what do you get into? What makes you like super excited? about just skydiving in general? Mm-hmm. So I, I, before I answer that question, I do want to, I do want to preface with, I, I did jump in Italy and, oh, and okay. this kind of tie, it'll tie into my answer. So I went to Italy in October and I got to, so I got briefed by like drop jumping at other okay. drop zones and um, what that would look like. And then of course I pick, you know, like a country, I don't speak the language and uh, <laughs> like they, they jump through clouds in Europe <laughs> it's like a totally different environment but the Mm -hmm. what I love about the sport is the community like I mean I just don't Mm -hmm. think you're gonna find a bunch of people who who jump out of perfectly good airplanes in quotation marks okay (laughs) for fun and like understand that it is a more I mean it's interesting because like I used to think it was a really extreme sport maybe it is still but it's it's more normalized in my brain yeah. and for most skydivers. And yet there's this connection that happens and you can't replace that. Like if you've jumped with someone or you know, they're a jumper. So you like, they understand like what it feels like mm-hmm. there. There's no other, like, I don't know how to, I haven't found that type of like connection in anywhere else. Um, So that's the best part. You can't like, you can't be part of it unless you've done it. So it's like, you're you're in the club or you're not, but please come and join the club. You're you're right. Like there's a, um, you could be a complete stranger, you know? So somewhere where this happened to me a few times was at the airport. I'd be waiting for my flight out of town or I'd be getting on a flight back home or something. And I would see somebody with a rig as a carry on. I'd be like, Hey, (laughs) skydiver don't know you, but I want to chat with you. You know, like how many times does that actually happen in everyday life where you just see someone randomly drinking the same coffee as you or drinking this, you know, like some other random tiny little detail that's like connects you, but you don't pull that person aside and say, Hey, like, Let's start up a chat, you know, just out of the blue. There's something about skydiving that really connects people. It's super cool. I'm glad to hear you say that it's about, like, the community is the thing that, like, really, really drives you. That's what this is all about. That's, like, the whole point of this podcast, you know, is to connect with people and create um, better and newer or better relationships and newer relationships with people you've never met before. Get to know people on, like, a a way different level than, than how we probably talk to each other at the drop zone, you know. Like, that's... That's super cool. Um, so to counter that, what's your least favorite thing about skydiving? 
Oh. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a, a, a glass all the way full person. You know, if it's even if it's okay. 50% water, there's still 50% air. You know, it the, the chemist in me <laughs> be like, oh, well, it's, it's not, it's a full always. It doesn't matter what's in it. Um, so in terms of like <clears throat> the least favorite part, See, it's like, I'm, I don't know what other people have said on your podcast with this, but it's like some people might say like, oh, I don't really like packing or I don't, I don't like learning safety stuff. I don't, I don't know like what, I love it all. And I say that genuinely, the learner in me is like, I, I love sitting at the bar at, after the day's over and like picking whoever's brain is still app to chat and like just asking questions mm -hmm. and um probably ad nauseum to some of them you know they're <laughs> oh my god this girl like it's it's midnight it's to go to bed um but and i really genuinely enjoy like the packing process because i just i find it like i like relive my jump during that time and mm -hmm. uh you know like i think oh waking up in the morning and like getting the drop zone ready, putting out the, the, the windsock or going and pushing out the plane, like all these things are like part of the experience. Right. So maybe, maybe the least favorite part, but it's also part of the experience, right. It's like, you know, even when you're like going up to, uh, to altitude, you know, like the waiting period, but you know, it's like, it's part of it. It's yeah. I would. Okay. If I had to say one thing, I, I will say it's not like my favorite part about it. I don't like thinking about like, oh, well, I could die. Like, I mean, like I do need to think about emergency <laughs> procedures and like, that's very real. And it's like a practice you have to kind of put yourself through. You have to, I mean, I literally every time, you know, I'm like touching my handles and, and being like, this is a risk that I'm taking. Like I accept this risk and, but like, I need to, you know, there, there are other sports, I guess we, you can do that aren't as mentally stimulating. So that isn't the the most pleasant part, I guess, <laughs> having to run through that every time. Yep. No, I get it. It keeps you on edge. It keeps, it takes a little bit of the fun out of it, right? Like, a little bit. Lots of people talk about the community. Like when you, okay. when you talk about like, what's your least favorite thing? Like there are some aspects of the community that a lot of people don't like, but it's super cool to hear it from someone who's really not, not super new, but like relatively new to the community or to the, to the skydiving world. Um, it's a very different answer. I like it. It's refreshing. <laughs> if I had to answer that, like packing, I don't want to pack. Oh God. Here I am. I like, I like volunteer to pack people's shoots. Cause I like want to learn the differences. So yeah. But I mean like the, the difference between like, I've worked as a packer for four years. Like <laughs> I got all the packing I ever needed to get, get it. And then now on top of it, I'm so like anal and terrible about letting other people touch my gear I don't want to pack for myself it's too much work I'm lazy I don't want to do it but I also don't want to lose my gear because of somebody else you know so like <laughs> moving on moving on um so what was your progression like just from start to finish like was it easy did you find it difficult confusing too fast too slow easy to understand oh, we're, yeah curious. we're gonna get into the what that experience yeah. it was oh yeah um, I, I would say, okay, like you have to understand, I, I went out every single day that was, that the drop zone was open and I was in town 
whether or not we were jumping. So I maybe like made a, an already intense environment more intense the way I did it. Okay. <laughs> so I would say that, that if you are hungry to learn at, at Wasoda, like you can be coached from sunrise to sunset. And there's mm-hmm. a lot to take in. Um, and I remember being like exhausted, like pass passing out um in and sleeping, but then you're like so excited and like the thrill is so so weird uh that you really can't sleep because you're reliving these jumps. Um, but the progression, so I did my static lines. Um, I did three on my first day. I came that was on a Saturday. I was, I would have actually, one of the few days I did skip was that Sunday, but it was literally because my body was holding on to so much of that fear that like, I couldn't even move the next day. I was so sore in like all these weird, crazy places. I had bruises from like, you know, cause you wear these like uh student canopy rigs that aren't designed for your body. And they just, you know, hit you in weird places when the canopy opens. And oh, oh yeah. uh, so I wasn't moved, but I came back that Wednesday and did two more jumps because then you have to then uh with static line progression your last um practice rip cord pull has to be on the same day as your first free fall and so i there wasn't enough sun enough time for me to do two more jumps that day so then i waited until that friday and then i spent that whole weekend friday saturday sunday (laughs) um doing more jumps and that was I I did not get quite to altitude because I really there's video of this. I I am not a natural skydiver. I have to work hard for everything that I do in the sky. Um and I do have a hunger to learn, so like I was willing to do it, but my first free fall, I scared the living shit out of my instructor, Joe, because I flipped <laughs> around three times. I did pull. I so right pull priorities. Um, pull pull at the right altitude and uh, pull stable. Well, I pulled. I didn't pull at the right altitude and I did not pull stable, but I pulled. <laughs> My parachute. You got number one. That's all, all that matters. matters. And um, and I beat the parachute, and you can see on the video, through the flip and didn't catch my foot by like inches. Ooh. You know. But I wasn't freaked out. I landed and, you know, the, I, the, I found out later, you know, whatever, you learned stuff about the experience afterwards and, like, what a shit show it was. But uh, I was so excited and I wasn't, I actually wasn't afraid that I did all these flips. I was like, I did all these flips. Like, you know, I was like, I know I wasn't supposed to, but I didn't know, I didn't know what else to do. And so then they put me back on that, that, you know, first free fall. Just, they were like, just don't flip, you know, just, just let go arch and, um, don't flip around this time. Well, I only flipped twice. (laughs) It's getting better. So they brought me up to like a five or 10 second delay. And they also shifted me from hanging to a step exit where to try and change some stuff up. So they were behind the scenes working, you know, trying to how is this girl going to stop flipping around? You know, like, like, so I do the step mm-hmm. exit and I basically do corkscrews um, rather than full flips. It looks okay. really okay. cool. Um, and at that point, Mary was like, 
I'll just jump with her. <laughs> Get rid of me. Like, all you boys, you can't, you can't do it. Um, And so she worked with me, but it's like, there were, I would be so excited about the jump that, like, it'd be like everything went out the window. It's just like, go on that plane, right? It's like, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Like, like a chicken with my head cut off. I was like, ooh. Um, I didn't, I didn't ever like spin crazy. I would backslide a lot. Um, and I would orbit, I would orbit around people, yeah. which I guess is pretty common. But in terms mm-hmm. of like the learning and everything, I would take everything in, I would try and implement it, but like you get 30 seconds, 30 to, you know, 40 seconds at, you know, from 10,000 feet as a student, such a small window of time to put in what you may have practiced for an hour. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so the progression, was it too fast? Was it too, it with all of the ground training and like, I should also say like, I learned how to pack my parachute by jump 10 fully checked off. Like, I mean, I went hard on the ground skills. Like I was just like, give it to me, you know, like, let's do wins aloft. How do you spot? Like, because Mary in her book, you have to understand, she's like, you need to advocate for yourself. Well, I took that very seriously. So I'm looking at the proficiency card and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what this means. I don't know what that means. And so I was like, let's let, I remember like a three hour training about turbulence with Josh, <laughs> but you know, you'd get weathered out and you know, you just sit there and you'd learn. So does it have to be that way? No. Um, do you have to progress it? at such a, like an intense rate. No, it was, it smart. Some people would argue no, because it's like a lot to take in, but currency is real. Right. So because I, I kept showing up and asking questions and then I'd ask people to film me or I'd, I'd be like, how's my landing or, or whatnot. Like I got better. Um, I still suck. I just suck a little <laughs> less. <laughs> I'm sure you're great. I, I, like, I really, I, I'll call and ask Ryan later and get the confirmation. On I'm, that. I'm not good. It's okay though, because I still love it. Like I'm well, I'm willing to learn. So it's like, I think that's all that matters. And I just want to like make a note too. Like this is a super cool conversation because like not only a lot of students that I talk to, they don't have a great way of saying what they're, what they're feeling or what they're experiencing because they're just not, they're, they're not like up on the lingo, you know, they're not up on the, you know, it's hard to talk about this stuff because they're just not as like experienced with it yet. But like you are so articulate <laughs> about what it is you're trying to say. It's like, ah, it's so informative. I love it so much. This is great. Awesome. <laughs> so thank you're you. You're welcome. Thank the you teacher so background probably helps a little. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure for sure. Uh, but, but still very, very exciting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I would say the piece I would add is that if you are working with students and they they aren't good self-advocates um mm-hmm. that it goes a long way because it's an intense environment i'm naturally good at self-advocating and so that made my like i got out of the experience what i wanted and it's interesting because mm-hmm. i went through a lot of my progression with a 23 year old stu- like uh your very stereotypical 23 year old grad college student male um you know uh just trying to i I don't know uh shout out to evan my buddy evan he was he was a great we had a great uh developed you can't really replace that experience and when you go through it with someone it's very unique but i remember him saying a couple times he was like you ask the best questions and like we (laughs) 
like, he was like, I wouldn't even know to have asked that. And he, so him and I were like two peas in a pod around the drop zone for the weeks that we were there. And we like shared this really good environment, but it was interesting because he would say, he's like, I learned so much from you to, of how to be a better learner. And so I think it, it's not always easy for people like you're talking about like, Oh, you know, like I'm articulate in my answer. And I, and I appreciate you saying that. I'm glad that, that, that's, that that's good. But the reason you can, and, and having taught in general education is a lot of people have a really hard time taking like what's in their brain and, and outputting it. And they don't even know like where to start or where to begin or what to ask or how to kind of to do that. So it's, it's something mm-hmm. good to kind of, think about if you are teaching and instructing people in a sport that's super technical and has a lot of risk and safety things that you might have to probe your students a little bit to make sure they're getting um, out of what what they need from the experience. I know you're going to ask me some of that already, but it fit right there. I mean, we're going to now that now that you open that floodgate, we're going to just skip right to it and we'll come back to the rest of it later. Um, Like you're you've talked about how you're a life coach. You're like a teacher of teachers. Right. Um, Given all of that, like I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about how we as instructors like I'm an AFFI or AFF instructor. I am not I'm a tandem instructor. I am not a static line instructor. So just to preface this, I don't really know anything beyond what I've seen on videos for static line, like anything about the program, prefacing that now. But I'm interested to hear about from from a teacher of teachers, you know, I'm interested to hear about how you think we can change what we're doing or how we can improve our teaching techniques as as skydiving instructors. I think you have a unique perspective on this because you are so articulate you know, and because you have experienced teaching teachers and on top of that, you just went through your student progression. So it's all super fresh in your mind. So hit me with it. I'm super excited to hear. This. Yeah. So the, the AFF versus the static line, I will say is, is pretty similar after you get off of the, the, maybe like the first 10 jumps are different. Um, but then, you know, you're still learning, you're still teaching people how to swoop and dock and do turns and, uh, you know, track and, and those are part of, those are parts of the AFF program. I know like the AFF progression, you know, is like stability and heading and um, I, I'm semi-familiar with it, but I think teaching people how to, you know, get off of an airplane safely, pull their parachute, land their canopy, you know, those types of skills are transferable no matter like what route you go although aff is far Mm -hmm. more common than static line um from what i understand nowadays Mm -hmm. so in terms of like things that i experienced as a student that i could see from a lens of a teacher that like these are gaps now no shade to anybody who has instructed me there's there's no it's all love here and so because i actually did tell (laughs) my uh my my uh, static line instructor that I was going to be mentioning some things that could have been improved. <laughs> Shout out to Kayla. And uh, we'll just go with that to be like, it's not you, but in general, these are things that um, you should think about. So um, I think really managing for this particular sport, managing the adrenaline fear factor and like, trying to address that is a real thing 
that instructors can do to kind of build rapport and also like in a drop zone environment it can be like cool calm and collected until it's like get your ass on the plane mm-hmm. right like it can be like it's not like that but it can feel like that to the student right it's like all you're you're like you're like learning prepping and then it's like get geared up you know you're on deck we have to it's like we have to do these gear checks we have to like then do all this stuff and it's like go 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 right and that environment is really intense because at some point as a student you realize how much you don't know you're like mm-hmm. holy shit like I mean, I remember having these moments all the time and I was like, I have a million questions and now we're getting on the plane and I can't ask them because like, you know, I'm only on the plane for five minutes and it's loud. And like, there's all these swirling thoughts in my head, but I have to like, at some point, let them go. And I think if an instructor kind of sat down and be like, this is what I need you to focus on for this jump. Like, I'm certain that you have a lot of questions or, or just being like, I don't, I, I don't know if you have a lot of questions or not, but like, just kind of saying trying to be like, I, there, there could be a lot in your mind right now. And this is what I need you to focus on. And, um, I think it's almost like you need to get them to, uh, like be laser focused on the task at hand. And, and Mm -hmm. so that like, I remember a couple of, of my instructors saying like, Oh, well, you will learn that but you don't need that right now. That's not helpful. Like, why do I need, why do I not need to know that right now? And it, and so it's like, is that important? Is that not important? And and like, I get it more now, but at the time I remember being like, I feel like this is information I need to know. (laughs) I think, um, as instructors that can be you, you, the enthusiasm I've always gotten from the instructors is they're like, you know, uh, it, everybody loves the sport, right? And so they want to share, they want to share, they want to share. And I think having a streamlined system for the most part to guide your students through really does help. And like mm-hmm. understanding the emotions that they're going through. Like I've heard, you know, skydivers, tandem instructors, static line instructors, AFF instructors talk about like, they actually like the fear they get from students, right? Like it energizes them. I, I, I totally get that, but like also understand like, yeah, okay. Like you're, you're feeling their adrenaline. It's palpable. Mm -hmm. I get it. But like, don't lean into that too much where, you know, you're, you're forgetting that, that really, that fear is really real. And, um, so that, that's one thing. Now, my particular experience the static Mm -hmm. line so my instructor forgot their visuals and powerpoint and had to do everything from the board (laughs) okay from the manual right like reading from the sim that's not Uh that's just not a good teaching practice now uh, so visuals are really helpful breaking up um the day like people really need to have a pattern interrupt adults no more than like every 10 minutes so a pattern interrupt is like you talking and then they have to do, they either have to answer a question, they need to watch a video, they need to write something down, they need to stand up and do some movement. Like you need to have these pattern interrupts, especially for this sport, because you're sitting there and you think I need to talk for 30 minutes wrong. 
wrong. You should, I mean, like seriously. And those pattern interrupts are super important, especially before like the static line progression. I don't know how long the training is for AFF before they're on the plane, but it's like six plus hours for static line. And our instructors did a good job of like, you know, we'd be in the classroom and then we'd go to the plane and then we'd go on the field and, you know, do PLF. And then, you know, we would be calling out the parts of the parachute. And um, there was like, you know, uh, call and repeat. There was a lot of good like instructional practices happening there, but mm -hmm. there was also a lot of just like talking at us about everything that can go wrong. And yep. to, to no fault of like, you know, you forget your computer and whatever you have to like make it work, but try not and do that. Um, yeah. If you can. And also like having someone just stare at a video for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> In, those in, are all fair. Those are all super fair assessments. I, I mean, I am, I'm not perfect. I know I've done that second one, especially really early on in my skydiving career. Like when I was first figuring out, like testing out my sea legs with being an AFF instructor, like just talking for too long, <laughs> like saying information that wasn't pertinent, <laughs> you know, going off on weird tangents. Like I know I'm definitely, and I bet you if you catch me on a bad day, I'm probably, uh, probably fall right back into some of those old habits. Um, but a lot of what you just said has, has weight. Like you brought up two specific points, like talking through, talking students through that fear process when, uh, or that, that fear, you know, space, like headspace when they're first, uh, going and trying something brand new. And then, uh, talking about how sometimes we forget, you know, how people learn and how to, how to, how to get back into the rhythm of like appropriately, um, conveying information, right? There's definitely people that you're going to ramp up a little bit, especially with tandems, you know, they're paying for an experience. They're paying to be there, like, you know, to be for, mo for the most part, a majority of them are paying there to be, you know, thrown out of a plane. And everything that comes along with it, right? But then there are a lot of people out there who who want it really bad, but because they have all that conflict happening, you know, emotionally inside, like you have to help them through it and you have to adopt a different way of talking to those people, you know? But I think I think you hit the nail on the head there with with that little like that explanation about talking people through I not only talking people through it, but identifying it when it happens. Like when it's important to to call it out because it almost, uh, it does help mitigate the fear um, somewhat. If you just, if you just say like, I, I, I recognize like that what, what you're experiencing is real. And mm -hmm. that goes a long way because at times, and, and I will say part of the reason I almost quit like a lot, like, a lot in the process because it was so intense for me. I have said this in, in other, in other places, um, and, and whatnot, but I don't know if I've done it on a podcast, maybe a little bit, but just that I've done a lot of extreme stuff, right? I've talked about some of that already. However, this was by far, I mean, exponentially more terrifying than anything else <laughs> I've ever done. And uh -huh. Uh, man, when that plane door opens and you look down at the ground and you're like, wow, I'm going to be falling really fast towards it and whatnot, 
I mean, everything was shutting down. And I was like, how is this for me? The only reason I kept doing it in at the time that I could logically explain was I wanted to understand how the people at the drop zone weren't deathly afraid of it. <laughs> I mean, I looked around and they were cool, calm and collected. And I was like, I want to know what that feels like. Because mm-hmm. I it was so foreign to me in what was a very extreme environment. But I think, I, and I saw it even this summer, that a lot of static liners, they, and just even with tandems and AFF, they cannot rectify that fear. And so they, they don't understand what they're experiencing. And they, they, they don't have kind of that self-awareness to realize that like, it, it is possible to move past it, but it is a lot to move past it for some people. And mm-hmm. if it wasn't for, I think, where I am in life and, and kind of the, the changes that I was going through and, and needing this change, it was so much bigger than just skydiving for me. I don't know that I would have kept going through it. And mm-hmm. it there that is something that I feel like was a missed opportunity dropped by multiple people at the drop zone. And I've had this conversation with many of them that like, I don't feel like you guys addressed my fears. Yeah. You brushed over them because it's so normalized to you that you couldn't Mm -hmm. even see. And I was trying to let them see and know that I was afraid. I was fearful. Um, Like the whole process intimidated me. I felt like I was failing. Like, yes, even when I was doing those flips, like, I was like, yes, you know, like, but at the end of the day, I was like, oh my gosh, like, what did I just do? Yeah. So it is something to, it's very fresh in my mind. And it's, it, I think it's a reason why a lot of people aren't continuing with the sport. Um, they, or they, they can't make it through the, the program. And if it could be identified and, and, and kind of addressed more, I think, I think it could change the the environment of those experiencing um, mm-hmm. it in the very early stages. Do you have any uh, suggestions on how we could potentially placate those fears just on an everyday basis? Like I have things, I have tricks that I use, you know, as a tandem instructor and as an AFF instructor, but those are like just general tricks. You know, if I notice someone's looking nervous in the airplane, this is what I say to them. You know, if I notice that someone is, you know, pacing or breathing really hard or like they're standing there with that, that deer in the headlights look, you know, before their AFF uh, jump, like there are things that I say and things that I do to them to like get them to snap out of it, you know, or to get them refocused back on what they're supposed to be doing. But I'm curious, like, what are your, as a teacher, right? Like, what are your suggestions for us? Like, what can we be saying differently to students? What What would be a good place to start having those conversations? I mean, part of the sport is, you know, I mean, when you're in the plane, you have to kind of embody a different environment. You can't, you can't like lean into their fears. You, you, I mm-hmm. mean, you, that that's not going to be healthy. So there, it is interesting because... Uh, what you do and what you just listed is, is very like it it contextualizes the answer because right. Like you've already experienced uh, an array of, you can identify like, I know I need to address different things. If I see different things that alone is, is really, really good. So I think as an instructor, it is getting to really know your student students and Mm -hmm. building a relationship with them where they feel like 
they can share openly with you. And that starts with you being vulnerable first. Yeah. So I know that the environment and, and this is stuff I don't know because like, right, I'm not a tandem instructor. I'm not even like I'm, I, I am working to, to be a coach and instructor this next season um, and what that looks like. So I will have to, you know, like put some of this stuff into practice. Um, but in terms of having watched, you know, like other tandem instructors and, and, and how they interact with people and provide that experience. And even the tandem instructors, there's a lot of like being calm and like reassuring. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I really do like, and I really, really liked um, on my first day, you know, when they're doing the gear checks and they're verbally saying what they're doing and they're verbally explaining why they're doing it. Super helpful. Um, and I know jokes to try and mitigate or like break, you know, take off the edge is, is a strategy you can use for an intense environment and it is effective, but also like that follow-up of vulnerability and be like, I know what, like, if you can tell, like they really are <laughs> deep, they're heavy mm -hmm. breathing. They're like deer in headlights, yeah. you know, just to calling it out. And it's like, you know, like, what are you feeling right now? You know, what are you mm -hmm. experiencing? And, and like slowing the pace down a little bit, you know, it can it like, who cares if you have to switch a load? Like in my opinion, yeah. sometimes like that extra 20 minutes, sometimes it would be helpful. Sometimes not, but it's like, if you have a relationship with that student and you understand that, like they need more time to, to verbally process the experience, they need to talk it out versus they yeah. need to get it done. And mm -hmm. it is identifying your type of learner, which you should be doing um, through the process, you know, are, like, were they the person who was like, I need to touch and feel everything? Are they the person who is just taking it in They're uh, like uh, visually and auditorily? They don't need like when they ask a question, last question, but it, otherwise they're just like, they're good. They just, you know, they will let you know. And then there's some people that you're going to have to probe. And I think sharing and trying your best as an instructor to relive the fear that you, <laughs> you had Yep. is so important and not brush it off because the further away you get from the fear or whenever you have been afraid, the less able you are to kind of um, relate. So really trying to put yourself into that headspace, that empathy is, mm -hmm. is going to be a really big tool here for, for this. Yeah. Okay. Um. No, that is uh, everything you just said. Like, it's like you're reading my mind. <laughs> uh, everything you just said is super important. You know, learning to read your students, learning to uh, talk to different types of students, learning what kind of learners you're going to you're going to be experiencing. I can already tell, too, like that you're going to be a great instructor. <laughs> like I can already tell like you're oh, I'm so excited for you. Um, we don't have enough women instructors in this area. So it's like fantastic to oh, see another one, like see someone else who's like just as jazzed about it. Um no, like that's, I think, I mean, you're always going to have your instructors who are just there for a paycheck. You're always going to have those people. Like there's, there's no getting around it. Right. But this is everything we're talking about right, right now is for the people who are going to make this like a lifelong career and are super passionate about it and want to just be good and be better and like be known for being good. Right. So, so yeah, that's a huge, a huge takeaway is like, get to know who your students are, get to know how they learn 
The only way you're going to figure it out to begin with when you get in the swing of things, if you're not a natural teacher, is to just ask questions. Like ask as many questions as you need. Eventually, you're going to be able to start picking up on those, you know, little like little um, tics and little traits and little, you know, facial expressions that people make. And you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that person's nervous or, oh, hey, they don't understand what I'm talking about. I should go over this again. Um, One of the one of the I mean, I don't want to like toot my own horn or anything, but one of the biggest takeaways I get or biggest um, repetitive messages I get back from people uh, doing tandems is like you made me so calm about like this whole experience. Like you, you made me calm. You made it enjoyable. This is fantastic. And like that's a huge win for me because there are definitely p- people who just want to like be razzed and like have a great time and like, you know, make it be a, a silly, goofy uh thing that they they talk about their friends like can you believe she said this or can you believe they said that like I can't believe it and then she pushed me out of the plane like there are definitely people who want that experience but I think I would say a a vast majority of folks like want to be talked through it they want to be like calm through the whole experience they want to absorb as much as possible they want it to be like this thing that changes their lives and it's cool to be able to turn that on and off and be able to handle and appropriately uh I don't want to say deal with, but appropriately deal with every single type of student that comes through you. So we're going to we're going to flip this a little bit. We keep talking about fear. Right. And when you sent me this um, this online article published by CanvasRebel.com, um, it was about you. It was a biography of sorts. Right. Um, you talked a lot about, in this article. You talked a lot about how for you the drive to keep skydiving came from overcoming the fear that came along with it. Right. Um, you've talked a little bit about it in just this episode too as well. So, and I told you this a little while ago, it struck me reading that in that canvas or in that canvas rebel article, <laughs> I did my senior thesis in college on fear, fear and fear and cinema. It made me really interested to hear what more you had to say about this particular topic. Like, can you elaborate more on why that, that drives you specifically when it comes to extreme sports? So I'll do my best here. (laughs) I know it's kind of broad spectrum. I'm not entirely sure why I'm driven by uh, fear-seeking activities or conquering fears other than, okay, probably a lot of people here either (laughs) played video games or like, you know, understand the gaming environment, but it's like a level up, right? Yeah. And... You can't level up your life, in my opinion, if you do not do things that scare you because Mm -hmm. you never know what you're capable of. You'll never understand, like, what could happen because you'll just sit there and wonder. And I Mm -hmm. guess I don't want to spin my wheels wondering about what my life could have been if I didn't do the thing that I'm sitting about, dreaming about at night. Yeah. Worst case scenario, I guess I die from skydiving, (laughs) but at least I like got to do something I love. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying, like, I say that, and I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek here, just so that we're clear. Do I think I'm going to die skydiving now? For the most part, no. (laughs) 
yeah. Um, it, all of the extreme things that I've done have, have been about change, like, and, and what that looks like at, at different periods of my life have meant different things. But I think where I saw a lot of my students when I was teaching high school chemistry get stuck, friends that I have, you know, either done, you know, direct coaching or semi, you know, friendship guiding type things or family members or my clients is that so many people just think about the things they want to do and they don't mm -hmm. do them because they're yep. afraid of they, they, they spend their time living in that fear. And mm -hmm. the best way I have found to level up my life and overcome fears is by doing the things that scare me. And I'm not yeah. sitting around thinking about what if doomsday scenarios, because I'm out living life. And yeah. I, I don't know how to, unless you like embrace that mentality, it's hard for me to convey how transformative it is. You have to lean mm -hmm. into the fear because it, it if you don't, all you're going to sit up, sit there and think about is like, well, what would it feel like? Well, you don't know. Like, so how, yeah. how do I explain to you? I can't even like look back at like who I was before I've done some of the things that I've done because that person doesn't exist. It, yeah. it, she doesn't exist anymore. Like the, I remember when I was afraid to, to stand in front of a classroom of people and, and talk to them. And now I get paid to do it. <laughs> <laughs> what how but how did I overcome the fear I don't know I just did it like was it uncomfortable and it's so easy to bubble wrap yourself right and mm -hmm. and and it's not like sometimes it's it's not even like you're not even aware you're doing it right like the more bubble pops you do the more you realize so like when I when I taught high school chemistry the first day just to give you some semblance of like what kind of teacher I was is I did a lesson called The Deep Ignorance. And it was literally about it, it telling students that we know nothing, we're all deeply ignorant, and that the more we know, the more we realize we don't know. And that's yeah. beautiful. And it uh -huh. expands your mind. And skydiving is the sport that has expanded my mind the most and continues to do that. And I don't see it stopping anytime soon because you cannot put into words what 45 seconds of free fall and that transcendence, you can't be anywhere else but on a jump. I have yet to be mm -hmm. anywhere else but on a jump. When I'm on a jump, I'm just there. There's nowhere else I am. And like, you can't explain that to somebody unless they've done it. Like, I can't explain to you, mm -hmm. like, all the crazy stuff that I've done, but all of those things that I've done, I've just been fully present. And when you can embrace presence in your life, truly, you let go of so many other things that don't matter. Mm -hmm. They just don't matter. But you can't get there unless you're you're doing the work. That's a really cool... I love that answer so much. Like, in its entirety, like, the whole the whole answer. That was... It's the the what if. That was what got me right? I have spent so much of my life wondering what if, what if this goes really badly or what if it goes really well, you know, like thinking about how many things I missed out as a young adult because I was worried about the what if 
and it's and it's all derived like you're absolutely right it's all derived from fear it, it, like the reason you don't make that decision or take that first step or break away from whatever it else it is you're doing and try this new thing is because you're worried you're going to fail you're worried it's going to go badly you're worried you're going to get hurt you're worried uh to be alone like any of those things right fear is absolutely the thing that drives drives mate whether or not you make that decision it's a it's a normal response like okay so you 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 can't solve a problem you're not aware of right mm -hmm. you can't i'm getting a free therapy lesson right now <laughs> this is this is this is life coaching right this is what i do okay <laughs> real though in that right you can't you can't see your own fear we're often blinded by it until mm -hmm. you overcome it and then you're like, why yeah. was I even afraid? And that's why I use the this idea of like leveling up. That's why I also have started, you know, talking to like, I don't know the person that I was because they're, that person doesn't exist in, mm -hmm. I don't have those fears. Do I have different fears? Yes. But when you learn to manage and um, kind of outpace your fear thinking, right? So it's mm -hmm. instinctual to react with all of these doomsday thoughts. It's a self-preservation. It's biologically programmed. Mm -hmm. And when you can kind of, I don't know, override the system and kind of like, be like, that's illogical. You can point out your own fallacies of thinking. Well, that's when you can, you, you this whole idea you're saying like, this what if stuff starts to melt away because yeah. you have, kind of reprogrammed how you think about life and rather than think about all the things that can go wrong not only do you see how everybody else talks and you have like this bird's eye view and you're like whoa language is really really a big driver of how you experience the world but then you also start hearing yourself differently and you can then you can just experience such a wider range of emotions than fear with everything that you experience in life. And that's where I say that like overcoming that fear is transcendent. Mm -hmm. No, and you touched, you, you, you touched a little bit about um, how people are blind to the fear that they're experiencing. Like that is so true. It's so, I mean, in my, in, I can only draw off my personal experience with this one, but it took me years to wrap my head around the idea of being just aware of what it is my inner voice is telling me at any given time. It took me years to figure this out. And it was only in recent years that like I figured out how to essentially talk back to it, right? A vast majority of people, you're right, like have no idea that this is the thing that's like essentially controlling their decision making or controlling, you know, um, the type of experiences they have. Like it's, I'm going to, I'm going to list all your contact information in the show notes <laughs> so that people can just contact you and get the same type of therapy I'm getting right now. This is awesome. <laughs> Feel free. The easiest place I'll, I'll say right here. You can find me at Allie Privet very easily on the internet, uh, on Instagram, LinkedIn, and if you, my website is, uh, uh, .com. That's my Instagram hashtag, my friend Allie. And, uh, okay. There you go. That's the easiest. I'm putting that being said, uh, this is just kind of a fun little tidbit. I included it in the questionnaire when I sent it to, or sent it, when I sent it to you. And I'm not sure if you saw it, but did you know that human beings have two innate fears that they're born with? 
Yes, I saw yeah. I saw you list them. Loud noise yeah. and heights. Yeah. Uh, falling. Falling specifically. When people, I always like to point this out when people come into the, the drop zone and say, well, I have a fear of heights. Like, I don't like heights, you know? Like, I don't like heights either, but really what it is is you're afraid of falling, not not heights. Like, if there's, if, like, you're standing on the edge of a building and there's a big, you know, railing or a big fence in front of you, you're not as afraid of that height because there's a lower chance that you're going to end up being on the other side of it and falling off it, right? But if you are standing on the edge of a building or on the edge of a cliff and there's no, there's no barrier there, like, you are, you are very afraid of falling off that edge. Um, and that's, like, something that human beings are born with. You know, you should never, ever do what I'm about to do or about to say. But if you basically took a baby in your hands and you mimed like, you know, uh, if, if you basically mimed um, taking like the 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 I'm doing it in <laughs> the video screen. She can see me doing it. I'm having such a hard time You're like explaining it. It's gravity thing. <laughs> yeah. I feel so bad saying this like live. <laughs> uh, but essentially, if you were to mime like, you know, not dropping a baby, but like, you know, taking uh, all the all the support out from underneath the baby, they react really intensely to it. Their arms change like their whole body changes. Um, their facial facial expression changes. Maybe they cry like it's, it's an innate fear, like an innate fear of falling. And then obviously like the fear of loud noises. So the next time somebody comes in and says, I don't like heights," it's like, actually, it's you don't like falling. You know what's real? So I'm 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 gonna ask this question to you, okay? Yeah. Because when what I thought, like so before becoming a skydiver, I had dreams that included sometimes falling, right? It's really just like the acceleration. Um, yeah. but I don't have those dreams anymore because I know what falling feels like, yeah. and it's not. It is not what I thought it was. And I'm, I'm curious if you, uh, your experience with, with that, if your idea of what falling feels like has changed and even from like the beginning to now with skydiving. Yeah. So I think like the best way to equate it is like the sensation of coming off the hill. When you first start, um, this is something you're probably super familiar with now, but maybe didn't experience right away as a static line student. Um, there's a moment, I mean, for anyone who doesn't understand what the hill is, right? Anyone who's listening, there's a moment like 10 seconds from exiting the airplane to picking up enough speed in free fall to where you've reached terminal velocity <laughs> uh, and you no longer feel like you're falling, you're floating, right? That 10 seconds in the middle or at the very, not in the middle, in, at the very beginning is where you experience that sense of weightlessness, where you don't have like a clear point on the horizon to be looking at, where you don't have a center point to be looking at, right? Those are, that is like the, the window of time. That's the feeling that people don't like. When you, when you talk about the fear of falling, I, me personally, I don't have any science to back this up. This is just what I've read and this is what I've experienced. And this is, this is what I think is, is the truth. I should preface that. Um, that 10 seconds right there, I think is what they're talking about when they say like, we don't like falling. It's that feeling of like not being in control. It's that feeling of not knowing what's coming next. It's that um, it's expecting that like impact, you know, that really quick jerk or that, that quick strike. Um, 
or as you get to be a more experienced skydiver, right? And you put more jumps under your belt and you get more and more comfortable with a sensation of what free fall actually feels like at terminal velocity, um, or when you've picked up like the normal amount of speed, like you know, and you feel comfort in that you can control things. You can control your body. You have confidence in yourself, right? Um, so you know that even though there's a little bit of instability still at the very beginning of the skydive, like you know eventually it's gonna get to a certain point. So it's not as crazy. It's not as, um, nerve-wracking you're used to it you understand what's happening to you in in those you know 10-15 seconds it's not as overwhelming you know it's not the same obviously you can't get that without skydiving you can't get that without all this distance between you and the earth um, if you fall off a ladder you're still not you know you're still gonna you're still gonna have that experience so it's it's I think once they realize that it's not the net like it's not what they think is going to go through their brain it's going to be a lot it's suddenly a lot easier. I've never also, I've also never had to explain this. So I feel like I'm just <laughs> like <laughs> uh, spitballing as I go. Um, yeah. Falling is not, that's what I, when, when my friends and family and because I'm a new skydiver, they ask me like, what is it like? I'm like, it's nothing like what you think yeah. it's going to be. And the best way yeah. I was like, I didn't understand falling. Like I, mm -hmm. and I taught this subject, right? Like I teach physics and chemistry. Mm -hmm. Like I've taught terminal velocity. I've used skydiving as an example for years and, and talking about the difference of like somebody just jumping out of a plane versus somebody at terminal velocity and the difference between mm -hmm. those forces. So it's like conceptually, I could always understand it, but applying it and experiencing it totally different. Um, yeah. I feel like there's only two things out there in the world that can even equate to the same same type of sensation. Like the first one is obviously the tunnel, right? Obviously the tunnel. That's going to be the most accurate and similar um, sensation out there. But I've heard a lot of other people also use the have you ever stuck your hand at a window kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, like that type of resistance that you feel on your hand, multiply that by like 10. <laughs> like that is the type of resistance that you're going to find when you pick up full speed in free fall, you know, in the two and a half miles that, that we jump, we jump from. Um, but there always is going to be a little bit to begin with where you feel a little bit out of control and you feel like you're not, you know, you're not in control or you're not, um, that wind will whip you. <sighs> yeah. Right. Um, Trust, trust though, that you're going to get there. You're going to get to that point because it's going to happen. It's just, you know, just do what you arch and do what you're supposed to do. Like <laughs> You'll get there, I promise. Eventually. Um, yeah, eventually. Uh, man, I haven't had to like articulate that ever, ever. To be honest too, like nobody has ever been interested in hearing stuff like that from me either. So like, thank you for making me, thank you for putting me outside my comfort zone <laughs> and having to explain that to a complete stranger. I love it. <laughs> I loved it. I loved your answer. Thank you. It was a little rambling at times. I'll probably cut some of it out. <laughs> you should definitely not uh, edit. You should just roll, roll the beat, roll so, it all. I don't know if you listened to Josh Johnson's episode, but we just kept saying, like, we kept throwing a bunch of random stuff in there and being like, no cuts, no cuts. It's all. There were some things I obviously had to cut because, <laughs> because it would have been like four, Josh Johnson, yeah. it would have been like four hours of us just laughing at each other if I hadn't, but um yeah like no cuts no cuts <laughs> uh, i need to listen to it i mean you know josh johnson personally so like you're gonna laugh even better it's, it's like two it's like two hours of us just laughing at each other Sounds he great. got he started taking his clothes off at one point i was like okay this is, this is enough now 
like this is the weirdest thing I've ever it's already weird because I've never podcasted before and now now it's going like the extra mile so <laughs> yes yeah, I love it it's an experience <clears throat> all right last couple of questions here if you had one piece of advice for other students you know one like really big piece of advice what would it be probably already said it um but I'll kind of phrase it a little differently. It falls under the guise of, you know, advocating for yourself. You yeah. need to vocalize what you are thinking and experiencing. Mm-hmm. No one is a mind reader. I actually tell my students this all the time. I'm like, I can't read your brain, nor do I want to. Okay, let's be honest. <laughs> but it's really important to communicate what's coming up for you. And especially mm-hmm. in the intense environment that is skydiving, because if you just sit there and like, you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And you're not fine. Like you're putting yourself and everybody in that room at risk because it, there's a lot that I will say one of the, one of the things that again, drew me to the sport and everything was how much I had to trust and have faith in the process, even though I couldn't see where it was going. And for me, that was a really big, you know, part of why I kept coming and showing up. But it, it, for other people, they need to, I just think they would benefit from sharing, like, what are you going through and find someone that you can, can, can talk to about this. I mean, I did it with my mom and I got like, we had an hour drive to and from the drop zone. And so like, I just had to listen to her explain her fears, like for a long, a long time. And I, I, I and like, but it almost helped me because I was exper- I was like, okay, I'm not alone in what I'm feeling. And also this is a ridiculous it, experience like who does this and who does this with their mom and what mom like watches their daughter jump out of a plane and then is like I'm gonna follow you next like (laughs) things are like going through my mind but um yeah the there is so much trust in the process because you as an instructor you can't give all the information and I I would tell this to my students with with chemistry and whatnot be like look I'm not lying to you I just withhold information until it's relevant and that (laughs) applies so much in skydiving like i'm not lying to you but i am withholding information because it's not relevant right now to where you're at and um so as a student though but if you can just like express what you're going through then it can help it can help your instructor i mean it's a two-way street of of vulnerability and you are your best advocate and Mm -hmm. if you just if you just don't say anything you don't advocate for yourself um it increases your risk factor. It's so succinct. I don't need to build off of it at all. Like, perfect. Listen to her. Ask questions. <laughs> say what you need to say. Like, do your thing. Let's write a song. Say what you need to say. Yep. Say what you need to say. <laughs> Great song. <laughs> uh, this has been super cool. Like, I, I was real nervous. So <laughs> we've talked so much about, uh, <laughs> like fear and you know like uh overcoming you know personal personal obstacles and stuff but like uh this is this was one that made me nervous a little bit with my very limited experience in podcasting and talking to people you know um this whole process is like super overwhelming but it's also super cool uh going way outside 
like way out of left field or way into left field talking to someone I don't even know. Like I knew I had to do it at some point, but this has been a really great experience, a great first experience with this. So thank you so much. This has been awesome. I'm happy to have ripped that Band-Aid off for you. It's <laughs> a great analogy. I like that. All right. Uh, that being said, this concludes this episode of Fall Risk. Thank you so much, Allie, for being a part of this. Thank you so much for spending your time um, being so gracious with all of this. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to see where you go next with all this stuff. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. I, I'm so glad we met. Ryan connected us, and we got to we got to share some time together because that's what uh -huh. life's all about. <laughs> uh fantastic i'm glad you feel that way <laughs> i'm looking forward to, to keeping up and keeping in touch in the future okay perfect all right that being said thank you so much for tuning in guys this has been fall risk be safe be happy be safe